good evening um, we're going to dig back into the uh, Roman study tonight <clears throat> so we'll read through the uh, fifth chapter of Romans and then we'll pick back up um, where we tailed off at the end of last Wednesday night um, this is going to be posted just a little bit earlier um, as all the uh, cancellations that were going through with church and uh, uh, everything that's entailed with the coronavirus so uh, we're having to change things up and do things a little bit different uh, so we'll be recording this from home um, so I'm not bound by an hour and I'm sure that'll be a laugh to some but uh, we <clears throat> more than likely uh, may attempt to break this up into two separate recordings um, not real sure what we'll do but uh, just for ease of listening uh, so you don't have to endure two hours at once you can take it in bite-sized chunks but uh, nevertheless we'll get through with this um, Romans chapter 5 we'll read the chapter in entirety and then we'll start making our way through this <clears throat> chapter 5 it says therefore being justified by faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ uh, by whom also we have access by faith into his grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but with glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience and patience experience and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not uh, sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift, for the judgment was by one to condemnation. But the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the and uh, of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. 
and certainly we would ask that God would add his wonderful, bountiful, and richest blessings as we uh, study through the word tonight. And I just want to say I'm thankful that God has given us the provision that he has in this day and time where uh, things don't have to cease or stop. Uh, but we can still communicate God's word effectively and uh, hope that we could be a blessing uh, to those that would take the time to listen. So uh, we we pick up in the beginning of chapter number five, as always, and it's a continuation of where we tailed off in uh, Romans chapter four uh, last week as we brought that to a conclusion. Uh, And I'd encourage those that have not listened. um, I know that Romans two, Uh, I lost the recording at church, so I apologize for that in the first part of Romans chapter 1. But other than that, the the series that we're working through is all online. We'd encourage you to go back and listen to those so we don't don't try and take a considerable amount of time to to recap where we left off. But nevertheless, this is a continuation uh, of chapter number 4, where in the entirety of chapter number 4, he was working through the process of justification, how Abraham uh, was justified. And Abraham was justified by faith through grace, just as we are today in the New Testament. Uh, so there's nothing different, nothing changing. Uh, and he was laying down the commonality uh, that that uh, that grace is wrought through our faith when we exercise our faith and belief. And so <clears throat> we get to the beginning of chapter number five. It says, therefore, being justified by faith, uh, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And, of course, we have talked about at great length and to um, uh, many times over uh, about the importance of being justified. And justification, there is a legal uh, adjudication of which God exercises on those that are saved when they, we exercise our faith. And we believe upon uh, the reconciliation that was shed for us on Calvary. We are judicially executed and, and justification is pronounced upon the, uh, the sinner at that point, which translates us into a saint. It says, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So now we get to see... Uh, some of the benefits and the privileges of what we receive because we have been saved. So it says, by whom also we have access. Uh, So now we have uh, an ability to enter into a place that we had no privilege before. So uh, the Bible tells us in in the book of Hebrews in the fourth chapter, I believe it's the 16th verse, it says, Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. So we know that that Christ has torn down that middle wall of perdition uh, that separated uh, the enmity and the sinfulness of man from the righteousness of God. We have now privilege and access to the most holy or the holy of holies uh, wherein we can approach our high priest independently. The Bible says that there's one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ. So we have access. We have privilege. We've been afforded the privilege to go in uh, and stand and make our pleas and petitions uh, known unto our Savior. And Christ gives us that access because we've been justified of the faith that we've exercised in belief. 
It says, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but with glory and tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience and patience, experience and experience, hope. And we want to stop right there and <clears throat> and just say this, because Paul uh, <clears throat> is bearing down on the fact right here that, uh, that there's a great uh, importance to being saved. And just because we're saved does not mean that we, uh, that we have the privilege uh, of of not experiencing troubles and trials and and just because we've been saved by his wonderful grace does not mean that we'll we will not have to incur some of the things that come that fall upon this flesh and uh and i i would just say that you know as, as we're seeing this pause in, in in church and we see that the world is stopping all around us uh it seems like that there's there's so much uh, that we could fall into fear as we tried to preach on Sunday morning, Second uh, uh, Timothy chapter one, and verse number seven. In verse number seven, he said, "But God's not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and love, and of sound mind." And 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 we say this continually. Sometimes we we hyper focus on fear and the things that uh, that we get caught up and that trouble us and and that weigh us down and burden us in this life. Uh, but God said that he's given us power and love and a sound mind. We need to exercise the things that he's given us. He said to work out your salvation with fear and with trembling. And so often that, that verse is uh, misconstrued and taken out of context. It is at a singular point in time in which a believer repents and, and, and gets saved. But what Paul's trying to communicate was that uh, that's just the beginning of our journey. Uh, and we are going to face things. There are going to be uh, things that come upon us. And we understand that. And we know that tribulations are going to come. We see uh, the infection rate of the coronavirus is spreading rapidly. Uh, it's declining in most other countries. And it seems like the United States is just now entering into this time of tribulation. And we don't know what it's going to bring. <laughs> we don't know what the fatality rate is going to be. We don't understand any of these things. Um, nor does anybody. Uh, but the point of the whole matter is, is this is tribulation that's been wrought upon us, and it's common grace. It's upon the saved and the lost. So uh, God is no respecter of person, uh, but Jesus tells us uh, when he uh, spoke of the parable in the in the Gospels, and he told him, he said, uh, he said, this is likened unto two men. He said, one man he took, and he took his foundation upon the sand, Another man, he took his foundation upon the rock and said, The winds came, the floods descended, uh, and the winds blew and beat upon the house. Uh, and the scripture says, And great was the fall of the man that he took his foundation on the sand. Uh, but what we of often overlook is that the winds, the rains, and, uh, and the floods, they descended upon both of the people. Uh, the only differentiating factor was the man that had taken his foundation upon the rock. Uh, when all the tribulation had passed, his house still stood. And so that's uh, the grace of God that we should take away from this. In Acts 17, 28, for in him we live and move and have our being. God's grace is ever upon us. We look through the book uh, of Exodus. We can draw many conclusions where the children of Israel were segregated. They were separate uh, from the Egyptians, God's God's mercy and his grace overstayed them in many places. One of my favorite uh, verses in the text uh, is where the Bible says that when there was darkness in Egypt, there was light 
in Goshen. And so God's people should not fret uh, over uh, over the tribulations that we will have to endure. Uh, the Bible tells us in Hebrews 9, 27, for it's appointed unto man once to die, but after this, the judgment. Verse 28, he said, but unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. So we know that tribulations is part of this life, and we know that we're going to have to go through these things. We understand these things. But this is this is one of the glories of this verse right here. And he said, not only so, but we glory in tribulations. Also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. And we we have to understand these things that we have that we go through and that we encounter in our lives. They are for a purpose, and God is bringing us and He's working us with patience into a place of patience. And He said, and patience will also bring about experience, and experience will uh, ultimately yield hope. In verse 5, he said, And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. And so uh, when we when we exercise our faith in belief, and therefore we are saved, uh, because we believe what the Bible tells us in the book of Romans in chapter 1, verse number 16, we'll read it just one more time, as we've already said multitude of times as we're working our way through the book of Romans, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So we know that there is a wonderful blessing that when, when we are saved and when we are justified, uh, and then we are sealed according to the book of Ephesians in chapter 1. It said, In whom after you heard the gospel of your salvation, you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the purchase of our prized possession. So we know that there is a wonderful, uh, wonderful uh, 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 permanence to being a part of Christ. And said, And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Uh, and, and we're going to start, as we work our way through, uh, through verses 6 through 11, uh, we see uh, a beautiful picture of what Christ has done for us. And it says, uh, For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For for when we were yet without strength, when we didn't have the ability to absolutely do anything, we, we didn't have anything of ourselves. We have worked through the first four chapters of the book of Romans. We understand that Paul has, has brought stern conclusion in our lives, that we cannot live to the merits of the law. Uh, and and the Bible tells us in the book of Galatians, it said, for verily, if righteousness could have been attained, it would have been attained through the law. So that's why uh, we never want to throw away the Old Testament. We never want to do away with the things which are past. He said Christ came not to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. And he fulfilled it to a jot and to a tittle. He crossed every T and he dotted every I. He left nothing undone. It was perfect. Uh, and, 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 and there's nothing left for us to do. But the Bible tells us that when we were without strength, he's evaluating our position and where we stood uh, in those places and in those times, uh, we uh, the Bible tells us, uh, if we'll get over here, just, uh, give me a few seconds, we'll get over here uh, to the second chapter um, of the book of Ephesians. Um, and, of course, we see this as the grace text that we use in verse number 8. But when we read past that, in verse 9, it says, Not of works, lest any man should boast. 
In verse 10 it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Uh, listen to this in, in verse number 11 it says wherefore remember that ye being in times past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uh, uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision of course he's drawing a contrast between the Jew and the Gentile which is referred as the circumcision in the flesh made by hands that at that time you were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of province having no hope and without God in this world but now in Christ Jesus ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ listen to verse 14 for he is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us having abolished in his flesh the enmity even the law of commandments contained in ordinances for to making himself of twain one new man so making peace and verse 16 we'll stop here and it says and that he might reconcile both unto god in one body by the cross having slain the enmity thereby so uh we know that we uh, that we are uh, without strength we have no power to possess uh, the salvation that god uh, can impute into us through his son, Jesus Christ. And in ver the end of verse 6, it says, In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Uh, so we know that there is a purpose uh, in what he's done for us. In Galatians chapter number 4, uh, the Bible tells us in verse number 4, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoptions of sons. So the, that's what the Bible is talking about. In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. And we spoke about this uh, on several different occasions. We get to this point right here where we have to understand uh, a lot of people have this uh, cultured uh, ideology in their mind that because we were sinners and because we fell, that's why Christ had to come. But when we look uh, and we see the eternality of Jesus Christ, you can go back and read it in First Peter chapter 1. In verse number 18, you'll see that, uh, that he was verily foreordained before the foundations of the world. So therefore, Christ existed in eternity past. Christ was not an afterthought. Christ was not a fixed for our sin. Christ is the uh, eternal uh, redemptive plan. He always has been. And the Bible tells us that in due time, uh, and, and there's a lot of people, uh, they... they, they uh, they they find themselves in tension when they try and understand how can God know these things. And there's a lot of things that we'll never be able to understand about God. Omniscience is the uh, uh, prime and um, probably the most important thing that we need to understand about God. Uh, when we see the logical order uh, of God's knowledge, we see God's natural knowledge, God's middle knowledge, and God's free knowledge. He knows what we freely could do. He knows what we freely would do, and therefore he knows what we freely will do. And because he knows all things about us, uh, it does not violate creaturely freedom uh, when he uh, creates uh, this place in which we live, man's freedom is not violated just because of God's knowledge. Just because God knows something does not bring about, therefore, causality. Uh, we can know 
a lot of things and not make them come to pass. And so God, uh, in, in his beautiful and perfect omniscient love, uh, and see, we need to understand that, that Christ can never learn anything. If Christ could learn something, it would be a violation of his omniscience, and therefore uh, he would not be all-knowing. So Christ knows all things about all things about all things. And when we think about uh, the wonderful beauty of everything uh, that meticulously had to fall into, uh, into place uh, as he... Uh, as he used this wonderful orchestra and symphony of man's free will to bring about the redemptive plan of the cross of Calvary. That is the due time that Christ came. And that's what we read about in Galatians 4 when it says the fullness of that time was fully come when God sent forth his son made of a woman and made under the law. Uh, We want to talk about this for just a few seconds. Uh, And there's a lot of people... I have this perception today, and we're going to get into this in the latter uh, in the latter portion of of Romans chapter five. This is essential uh, to doctrine and to the understanding of doctrine. Uh, when Christ came into this world, He was born from above of the Holy Seed. The Holy Ghost conceived upon the Virgin Laden Mary, and she and He conceived uh, in her womb, which was born from above the sinless seed which is uh, the mediator, the second person of the Trinity, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Ghost conceived in her womb that sinless seed, which is born from above. But he, the Bible tells us that he robed himself with our flesh. He robed himself with our iniquity. He, he came in the likeness of our sinful flesh, as we talked about last week in the eighth chapter of the book of Romans. He came in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. Those are important, crucial points that we must understand. Uh, And why is that important to understand? We'll we'll get to that in just a minute when we talk about original sin, when we talk about inherited sin, and we talk about inherited guilt. When Christ took upon uh, himself our nature, uh, he did not therefore incur Uh, Adam's guilt. He took upon him the inherited sin that we are all born into. There's an inclination and a bend toward sin uh, in us that is innate in our nature because of our greatest father, Adam. But we are not therefore guilty of what Adam done. We'll get to that in just a few minutes. But as we look uh, and and we get back over here to the fifth chapter, The Bible says, for in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Verse number seven, the Bible says, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Uh, So uh, in other words, hardly or barely. uh, For hardly, uh, you would be hard pressed to search the face of the planet and find somebody that would lay their life down for a righteous man. Man, I'm not talking about family members. I'm not talking about husbands and wives and children. I'm talking about a righteous person. Uh, would you lay down your life for a righteous person? The Bible's drawing a contrast here. And it says, for hardly or barely, uh, I say even scarcely, would you even be able to find a person that would lay down their life and die for a righteous man? The Bible says, yet peradventure for a good man would even uh, would even dare to die. So, with friends, listen. We 
we get to this point over here where we're saying you can't even hardly or scarcely find somebody that wouldn't die for a righteous man. Moreover, uh, how much more impossible would it be to find a person that would die for somebody that was morally lacking? Uh, so when we see this from the vision of God, the Bible uh, contrasts our righteousness as the filthy rags. And we've discussed this at great length when, in the book of Isaiah. When he talks about it, he said, your righteousness is as filthy rags in the sight of God. We see the contrast drawn where he's talking about uh, or, or the parabolic language that, that he's using uh, when he's talking about uh, our sin laden and our unrighteousness. He compares our righteousness, uh, as it were, to uh, the leper's rags that were, lap, uh, that were wrapped in their bloody, uh, pus-filled infections as it flows out. God looks at our righteousness, our good works, and our good deeds, and he said, that's what I compare you to. And so, uh, when the Bible talks about a righteous man, we, were, we weren't even in the category of righteous. We weren't even in the category of good. Uh, the Bible tells us in verse number eight, it says, but God commendeth his love. So God commendeth or he establishes his love uh, toward us. And we want to stop right there and talk about just one thing. So as we look at the word love, we mentioned this Sunday morning. And we want to talk about this. In the Greek text, we have uh, two interpretations of the word love. You have philo and agape. Uh, the agape love is the unconditional love, which is the translation of the text as we use here. This is God's love that he shows toward us. It's not because we're good. It's not because we're righteous. It's not because we are physically appealing. It's not because we are morally attractive. It's not of any of those things. It's just an unconditional love that he has toward us. A fallen man. He wants to reconcile us back to the Father versus a philo uh, love that we have the interpretation of in the text. And it talks about the lusts and the desires that we long for in sin. This is not a physical attraction. This is not a moral attraction. Uh, listen, this is not something that would draw us in. There is nothing physically appealing about us. This is the agape love of Christ, uh, which is unconditional. So he establishes his agape love or his unconditional love toward us. And who is us? Us is sinful, fallen humanity. So God has established his unconditionality toward fallen man and that while we were yet sinners and we've said this many times as we've preached over the years so listen uh when we see this right here we need to understand this christ did not die uh for the good he didn't die for the righteous he did not die i've heard i've said this many times before been taken out of context i'm sure it will be taken out of context once more uh, but I want to say this, Christ didn't die for the preacher, for the deacon, for the lay member. Christ died for the sinner. There is a significant difference, friends. Listen, Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost. That is holistically. That is an entire uh, race of humanity. We are wretched. We are vile. Uh, listen, the Bible uh, d describes it to us uh, in explicit terms as we go on. 
It says uh, that God establishes his love toward us, and God commandeth his love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Uh, what a beautiful picture of the love of our Savior when he died for us in our sin. Not in our righteousness, but in our sin. And when we see that uh, Christ can love sinners, he is the only place of propitiation, as we talked about in the third chapter, uh, the third chapter of the book of Romans, as we talked about a few weeks ago. He's that only place uh, that we can reach God's mercy. That's, that's the extension of God's mercy is through his son, Jesus Christ. We in and of ourselves, we cannot do anything righteous. We cannot do anything good. Therefore, there is nothing in us that is innate within us that could ever achieve the righteousness of God. It requires with absolute necessity the sacrifice, the imputation of righteousness, the declaration of justification for us to be saved. We cannot be saved any other way. Acts 4, verse number 12. For there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Verse 9, for uh, much more than being now justified by his blood. So uh, as we talked about uh, maybe last week or week before, when we look at the terms in the Greek words justified and sanctified, uh, they are a synonymous term. So uh, they're used interchangeably, uh, but we understand that we've already talked about it as we identified it in verse number one, that justification is a judicial act that is pronounced by God upon us. Uh, we can't help but say this. Uh, just as we flip back uh, uh, just briefly uh, to the third chapter of the book of Romans, verse number 28, I love this verse. It says, uh, as Paul brings his argument uh, to a conclusion and he uh, declares the righteousness that has now been imputed into man freely. Uh, listen, we've been justified freely through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. He is our place of perpetuation. Uh, listen, he is the uh, just. He is also the justifier of them that believe. And he brings his argument to a conclusion at verse 28. And he says, Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. So as we stand at the judgment bar, uh, listen, an accusation is cast and brought against sinful fallen humanity. I'm glad that as our mediator, the advocate of the Father in John chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2, verse number 1, I, I write these things unto you little children that you sin not. But if we do sin, we have an advocate. Uh, listen, or an intermediary, a judiciary. We have a a, a lawyer. Uh, listen, uh, that will stand with us. We have an advocate with the Father, and not for us only, but for the sins of the whole world. But as we are brought uh, to this conclusion, and we see this in our life, when the gospel has come upon us, we see the fullness of conviction has finished. We see that we are guilty before a holy and a righteous God. God, we see that, uh, listen, in and of ourselves, we are hell bound. There is nothing that we in and of ourselves could ever do, but because of the declaration of justification, redemption, and because of the propitiatory sacrifice, we are therefore concluded that we are justified by faith, which is the action of belief without the deeds of the law. What a beautiful picture that God has painted for us. Now, verse number nine, it says, much more being now justified by his blood. Uh, listen, and we're going to talk about this. We talked about it, uh, I believe, potentially, we talked about it a few weeks ago. 
Uh, but it's littered all through this text. And uh, uh, if anything, I'd like to be accused of preaching about the cross and Jesus too much. Uh, that would be uh, a good accusation. Uh, listen, and that'd be one that I'd love to take to my grave. Much more uh, than be now justified by his blood. We shall be saved. Saved, the Greek word sozo. We've talked about this on many different occasions. Be kept in a perfect or unaltered condition. Uh, listen, uh, an alternative definition is to, uh, be to, uh, to be delivered from the penalties of the messianic judgment. Uh, so, friends, listen, that's what it means to be saved. And, and I hope uh, that people today, I hope that people listening, whenever you listen to this, I hope that there's something. Listen, I believe that there, uh, listen, is a regenerative effect that transpires when the gospel is preached. I believe the gospel today has the power, as the book of Romans said, I believe it is the power of God unto salvation. I believe that if you hear the gospel, I believe that when conviction is finished, it brings us uh, to a place where we must. Listen, once you reach that place of conviction, and once uh, you realize that you must give an account for where you stand, you must give an account for the gospel. You must give an account for the cross of Calvary. Listen, it's a place that you cannot ever return from. You can't go back from where you once came from. Uh, listen, and I'm going to say this, friends. Listen, we understand the moral responsibility and the moral culpability uh, that is already placed on man. Uh, listen, we'll reiterate again. I guess we've probably already said this. Uh, listen, every Wednesday night, and I know I'm not doing this on Wednesday night, but this is when it, you'll probably hear it. Uh, but the Bible says in verse number 20 of chapter 1, it says, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even uh, his eternal power and Godhead, so they are without excuse. Man, my friend, is without excuse. We are culpable. We are responsible. Uh, friends, listen. I wanted to read this tonight. I've got the privilege of uh, being able to be in front of my computer. Uh, listen, I've got several tabs I want to bring up, but I wanted to read article number three from the Baptist Faith and Message. Uh, and it says, man is the special creation of God. Man is uh, made in, in uh, excuse me, man is the special creation of God made in his own image. He created them male and female as the crowning work of his creation. The gift of gender is thus part of the goodness of God's creation. In the beginning, man was uh, innocent of sin and was endowed by his creator with freedom of choice. And this is important as we move forward in studying the remainder of this chapter. So uh, he was endowed uh, by his creator with the freedom of choice. By his free choice, man sinned against God and brought sin into the human race. I'm going to stop right there and say that. Uh, listen, when Adam and Eve transgressed in the Garden of Eden, they gained knowledge. They did not lose anything in the Garden of Eden. They gained knowledge, and when they understood, they were morally culpable for what they had done. They had, oh, they had willfully disobeyed, uh, listen, the, the decree of God. He said, thou shalt not eat. Thou shalt not eat of the tree uh, of the knowledge of good and evil, for in the day in which thou doest, thou shalt surely die. And I want to bring uh, 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 to uh, another point while we're there. Uh, 
physical death came. Not only physical death, but spiritual separation, which is also spiritual death, uh, came at the fall of Adam and Eve. So just to reiterate, it says, by his free choice, man sinned against God and brought sin into the human race. Through the temptation of Satan, man transgressed the commandment of God and fell from his original innocence, whereby his posterity inherited a nature and an environment inclined toward sin. We need to understand that at the fall, uh, we, because of dis- because of our greatest father Adam's disobedience in the Garden of Eden, therefore when procreation began to take place and as children were born progressively down through the generations of time, because, uh, w- listen, Adam was exiled from the Garden of Eden. He, could, he was no longer uh, allowed the privilege to remain and stay where he was. He was exiled. He had to leave. Why? Why did he have to leave? That is one of the greatest acts aside from the cross of Calvary recorded in the scripture because if Adam had uh, uh, partaken of the tree uh, of life in his sin, we would have been eternally bound in our sin. But it was the mercy of God that exiled Adam and Eve from the garden. Uh, And because of that, listen, we need to understand this. Uh, This is very important to understanding doctrinally the responsibility of man. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, the, the Bible tells us that Adam and Eve both seen their nakedness. They saw their nakedness because they had gained knowledge. Uh, Listen, and when they gained knowledge, they saw their nakedness. And the scripture says from there they took and they robed themselves with fig leaves to hide their nakedness. And they hid themselves is what the scripture says. And the Bible says that God came looking for his wonderful friends in the cool of the evening. And he began to declare as, listen, I want to be clear about something. It's not that God did not know where they were. This is essential to understanding the requirement of responding to the gospel of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Listen, God the Father, through the Lord Jesus Christ, He knows where every single individual person is. He knows knows our acts. He knows our thoughts. Friends, He knows every single thing about us. He knows where we are. He knows where to find us. But the, the, the requirement placed and leveraged on us is we must respond because we are culpable. So we get to this point. God's looking for Adam. He says, Adam, Adam, where art thou? And Adam finally responds. Friends, listen, that is what the gospel is doing. It is an effervescent uh, rain that falls upon this lost world. And it's begging and drawing all that would please respond to the cross of Calvary. That is the love, the reconciliation that Christ is demonstrating from Calvary. That is what the gospel is. The gospel is enough. So many people today, they want to add to the gospel. They say that the gospel is not enough. They make light of what the gospel is. But friends, I declare unto you through the authority of the word of God, I'm glad that the knowledge of Calvary can make a person that is lost and hell bound and rotten in their sin. It can set their feet upon the rock. It can cleanse their heart ontologically. It can come in and plant a new seed 
seed that is sinless, that is kept, that cannot sin, according to 1 John chapter number 5. Listen, the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5 and 21, old things are passed away, and behold, all things have become new. It establishes uh, an ontological change. There is something that is physically different about a born-again believer when we exercise the, the seed of faith, which is placed upon every man, and we believe upon the life-giving fruit of the gospel. But that uh, was the symbology. When God came looking for Adam, he said, Adam, where art thou? This is key. Adam said, we hid ourselves from thee because we were naked. Friends, listen today. I want want to encourage you in this one thing. Uh, Listen, we in and of ourselves, we know that we are destitute. We know that we are hell-bound. We know that we are wrathful. We know that we are full of sin. We know that we are separated from God. But there is nothing anywhere in the Word of God that tells us that we cannot respond to the gospel in faith. Matter of fact, it requires that we do so. So when the gospel comes... We must respond. It's the same thing that Adam did. He said, uh, he said we hit ourselves. And listen, I, I, we need to understand the only thing that Adam did was making a confession of what he had just done. All he said, uh, uh, he, he repented himself and he confessed. That's what the same thing that says in Romans chapter number 10. If we believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead and confess with our mouth, it says that we shall be saved. So friends, listen, we see the symbology. Uh, listen, it's the very first free will act of Adam. But we see the redemptive power of God. And he exercised it in the garden. But the Bible tells us that all Adam did, he said, uh, he, uh, he looked and he said, uh, he said, God, we've hit ourselves because we've sinned. And the mercy of God transpires, and the Bible tells us that he took and he killed an animal, and he clothed clothed him with the skins of the animal, and the blood sacrifice was therefore instituted. We see that there must, uh, the Bible tells us in the ninth chapter, I believe it is, or the tenth chapter of the book of Hebrews, that there is nothing purified uh, without the shedding of blood. So we see there, uh, as Christ's mercy was extended uh, to the firstborn created, uh, friends, there is a special intention about what God wants to do. I'm going to stop and say this right here. Uh, friends, listen, so often today we hear the cross of Calvary preach that it's something that is, could be here today and could be gone tomorrow. The only way that that's physically possible is if God takes, uh, listen, breath from this body and you leave this body. Friends, listen, which is an absolute, well, listen, that's an absolute possibility. Uh, listen, and, and I'll say to you, friends, tonight, I believe that that uh, is absolutely possible. But I do want to say this, friends. Listen, we need to understand that the uh, purpose of what Christ does, I believe that we have, uh, we have molested the intention of the cross. Uh, listen, the cross 
is not a worm on a hook. Friends, listen, he, he doesn't offer it and then, uh, re- and then uh, retract it. Friends, listen, the Bible tells us in 2 Peter uh, chapter 2, uh, listen, in Second uh, uh, Peter chapter 3, verse number 9, uh, listen, the Lord is not slack concerning uh, some men's slackness, but is long-suffering to us were not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We need to understand. It needs to be communicated from the pulpits. It needs to be declared. Uh, listen, with absolute precision, a Cartesian certainty that the cross of Calvary Calvary was, listen, uh, we need to understand that the second person of the Trinity, the intermediary, the the propitiation, he left heaven. He come down here. He robed himself with flesh. He went and willingly went to the cross of Calvary, endured suffering and shame, went through everything that he went through on Calvary's tree, friends, listen, and he done it because he loved We need not forget that the cross of Calvary is a declaration and a love letter that his son has sent down from heaven. Friends, listen, we need the pulpits of America today. Listen, we need to get back to the focus of the thing that God wants to see the whole world saved. That was the intention of the cross. Uh, listen, that was the intention when he executed it. It's still the intention today. It does not matter our interpretation of it. It does not matter what is said. It does not matter what I nor anyone else thinks about it. But it is what the Bible says about it. This is his love. He loved us when we were sinners. He justified us by his own blood. We've been saved from the wrath of uh, to come through him, which is through his son Jesus. The Bible says in verse 10, we'll get back to, the, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't even finish this right here. Listen, we were we were reading the third uh, article uh, in the BFM right here, but it says, through the temptation of Satan, man transgressed uh, the command of God and fell from his original instance, whereby his posterity, uh, uh, his posterity inherited inherited a nature and an environment inclined towards sin. That's the state of man today. Therefore, listen, this is important. Therefore, as soon as they are capable of moral action, we need to understand this, friends. Listen, uh, a child, a toddler, an infant, or a baby does not have the capability uh, to uh, be culpable of moral actions because they do not understand right and wrong. And because they do not understand, <coughs> excuse me, right and wrong, they are not therefore held culpable until the place and time where they where they understand what moral responsibility requires of them. We we have talked about this at length. We preached about this the other day, but in Isaiah 53, that's why we need to pay very very specific attention. Uh, attention to uh, the language that is used. The Bible tells us in Isaiah 53, verse 5, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He has brought as a lamb to the slaughter as a sheep before his shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. 
now. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people. Was he stricken? He's made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he hath done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Uh, he hath uh, put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, uh, <clears throat> and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul, he shall be satisfied by this knowledge. Shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. And therefore we can take a great consolation in the fact that those that are not morally culpable. You see, this is written in the 53rd chapter of Isaiah. This is pre-Calvary. This is before uh, the, the mediator had had come. But we understand, and that's why I encourage you to go back and read First Peter chapter number 1. Beginning in verse uh, number 18, you'll see there where, uh, that there was a, a foreordination of the cross of Calvary. It was a foreseen thing, and that's why we talk about Christ existing uh, in eternity past. Give me just a few minutes. I'm going to get over here uh, and read this while we're here. First Peter chapter number 1, verse number 18, the Bible says, For as much as you know you were not redeemed with corruptible things, praise the Lord, uh, as silver and gold, uh, from your vain conversation received by tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish, without spot. Verse 20, who verily was foreordained before, before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Friends, listen. Uh, I'm glad, uh, listen, that Calvary was something that was good as done before God ever breathed into existence anything that ever has or will be. Calvary was an official fact. Calvary was something that must come to pass. But because uh, it was as good as done in the eyes of God, I'm glad that there is mercy therefore extended to those that are not, uh, that do not have the uh, or possess the ability within themselves uh, to renounce wrong and receive right. Uh, because they have, they already have a redeemer. Praise the Lord. The Bible says, uh, therefore, as soon as they are capable of moral action, they become transgressors uh, and are under condemnation. Only the grace of God can bring uh, man into his holy fellowship and enable man to fulfill the creative purpose of God. The sacredness of human person, uh, uh, personality is evident in that God created man in his own image and that Christ died for man. Therefore, every person of every race possesses full dignity and is worthy of respect and Christian love. And as we examine that, friends, listen, we'll uh, carry that thought forward as we begin to tackle the remainder uh, of the chapter. But the Bible says here, in verse number 10 is where we got, uh, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, Reconciliation is bringing together things that were once broken. And we addressed earlier when we read in the second chapter of the book of Ephesians, we talk about the enmity uh, that separated us from God. We were enemies. We were strangers from the covenants of promise. Now, I understand that if, uh, when he was writing to the church of Ephesus, he was specifically writing uh, to the Gentile nations. But praise the Lord, he's writing about me and he's writing about you. We're aliens, but the Bible says when we were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no God and without hope in this world, is what the Bible said. The Bible says we were enemies, we were, we were reconciled, we're brought back together. 
Praise the Lord. Uh, listen, there's something about, uh, uh, let's go back and explore that verse uh, one more time. Uh, we've got all the time uh, in the world tonight. <clears throat> we'll break this up into bite-sized pieces if necessary. We'll go as long as our voice will hold. I'll say that. For he is our peace, whom hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition, having abolished in his flesh, that's the flesh of Christ, the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances for to making himself of twain, one new man, so making peace. That is what reconciliation is. It's the reunion and the bring, it's the marriage and the bringing back together of what was once severed by sin. It says, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we should be saved. Hallelujah. We should be saved by his life. What a thought. Amen. Uh, listen, much more. Well, listen, not only were we brought back to a right state in standing into the presence of God by the death of his son, much more we should be reconciled. Uh, we should be saved. Amen. Uh, we should be delivered from the penalties of judgment. We should be kept in a perfect condition by the resurrection. We should be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom now we have received the atonement. And, and we'll say this, I'm not real sure if we addressed the atonement last week or week before, but I know that we've already uh, marked it down in several places. But when we talk about uh, the atonement, we three, uh, see the three aspects of the atonement uh, as dictated uh, when we understand by our... Uh, by our good man that wrote the extent of the atonement, Dr. David Allen. We see three principles of the atonement, the intention, the extension, and the application. So we look at the intention of the atonement. What was the intention of the atonement? What was the intention of Calvary? Uh, what was the purpose of the atonement? Uh, the purpose of the atonement was to bring reconciliation. The purpose of the atonement was to unite uh, those that were once severed. The purpose of the atonement uh, was to bring reconciliation, not to just a few, but entirety. Uh, the purpose, it was all. So uh, what was God's purpose? So God's perfect purpose in that, uh, as he extended to all, we'll get to the extension in just a minute, but the intention of God's purpose, he wanted to make all men savable. And this is something that people need to understand today. Uh, listen, and I'm not being heretical when I make this comment. The cross of Calvary in and of itself saved no one. Uh, it didn't save anybody. Uh, listen, only when the cross is applied by faith and belief and then we confess, uh, listen, uh, uh, only then when the application of Calvary is exercised, is when it saves anybody. What the intention of the cross was, uh, was to the uh, whole world, that was the, the extension, the intention was to make men savable. So uh, we have those three purposes, those three orders, the intention. It was to make God or make uh, all men savable. The extension was for all men, A-double-L. 
uh, a without uh, without exception, not without distinction. Uh, friends, listen, I believe that it's for every man, woman, boy, and girl, race, color, and creed. That's what the cross of Calvary was extension was extended for. Like I said, uh, the intention was to make all men savable. The extension was to all men. But the only way that it is any of use, of any use to anybody in this entire world is that we apply it by faith through grace according to the word of God. And that's the gospel. So, not only so, but we also joy in verse number 11. But we also joy uh, in God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom now we have received the atonement. So we understand what the atoning work is. That was a uh, a buying back of the redemptive pro- uh, uh, process that we uh, go back and listen. If you want to listen to it in detail, the second part of Romans chapter 3, specifically in verse number 24, when we talked about redemption, the buying back, the purchase uh, of, what, uh, of uh, what was once lost in the Garden of Eden, what was once lost was all atoned for. Now we get to verse number 12. Wherefore, in verse number 12, wherefore has by one man sin entered into the world? What does that mean? So wherefore has by one man sin entered into the world? We've already talked about this. This is Adam. So when Adam transgressed, when Adam fell, sin entered into the world. How is that possible, preacher? Because through the act of procreation, through uh, him and his wife, all men, all beings, therefore, uh, that come from him, they are all inclined towards sin. We have a bend towards sin because that is our inherited nature. Our inherited nature is an inclination toward sin, not guilt. We are not responsible. I'm going to read a few passages here in just a few minutes. But we are not responsible for Adam's guilt. If a man dies, uh, listen, and he rejects the atoning work of Calvary. Uh, Listen, or if a man dies because he chooses to suppress the truth of creation and all of God's righteousness, if he suppresses the truth in unrighteousness, if he chooses not to even hear the gospel, friends, he's still responsible. We've already talked about this at great length. But friends, listen, we need to understand there's a place in here where the Bible tells us that sin entered to the world and it's passed upon all of us, but we are never, as we work our way through these uh, these next few texts right here, uh, so many people, they, they imply or they burden these words and these passages with the weight that, that we think that Adam's guilt must be accompanied by that sin. But we are only responsible, the Bible tells us in Ezekiel chapter 18, we're going to read it in just a minute, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. So the Bible says, wherefore as by one man sinned into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So we see here, uh, the Bible says, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So what does that say, preacher? Preacher, doesn't that verse tell me that we are sinners and and that we are guilty of Adam's sin? No, 
That verse does not tell me that I'm guilty of Adam's sin. That tell, that verse tells me because I'm born into this world with an inclination in the bend towards sin. And when I reach that place in my life I, where I understand and I am capable, therefore, of moral action, deciphering between good and evil and right and wrong, that I have sinned. And because I have sinned, death has passed. Listen to me. Well, a, 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 a righteous man would never die. Had Adam never sinned in the garden, he'd still be alive today. But he sinned and he died. That is the burden and the full weight of sin is we must die. Read 1 Corinthians 15. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. For until the law, sin was in the world. For until the law, sin was in the world. So now we see, what is he talking about specifically? He's talking about the law, which was the Mosaic law, which was given on Mount Sinai, uh, which was delivered into the hands of Moses. What did the law bring? The, the law brought the written knowledge of sin. And therefore, uh, because of that, we had, that was the oracles of God that persisted with the elect lady Israel. She was, uh, uh, she was called and ordained and elected as she walked and marched her way toward Calvary. But the Bible tells us, and we need to pay attention to this. It says, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses. So, friends, listen, we need to understand this. Uh, that, that's what the Bible tells us when we see, when we start uh, beginning to comprehend the universal witness. Uh, that's what it's talking about in verse number 20. Uh, for the invisible things of him, and I'm sorry, chapter 1, verse number 20, we've already read this, I'll read it again. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so they are without excuse. We look over to uh, Romans chapter number 2, uh, and we look specifically at verse number 14, the Bible says, For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law, are a law themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts. Okay, uh, so friends, listen, we need to understand that there was a moral law that existed and has always existed. Uh, and therefore, the Bible tells us because we are all sinners, because of our moral incapacities, that we all must die. So, it says, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam and Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who was the figure of him that was to come. All right, now let's look at verse number 15. <clears throat> so we start to see some contrast right here. And the Bible says, but not, as the, uh, but not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. Okay, so listen, but not as uh, but not as the offense or the transgression, so also is the free gift. What is the free gift? That's the redemptive work of Calvary. We read about it in Ephesians chapter two, verse number eight, for by grace you saved through faith, not of yourselves, but it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For if through the offense of one many be dead, so what's he talking about right here? So the, through the offense of one, this is when Adam transgressed and fell in the garden uh, uh, of Eden. And when he fell and when he transgressed in the garden of Eden, 
The Bible tells us that because of that, as we read in verse number 12, that therefore the inclination and the bend towards sin, it was therefore inherited and passed upon all mankind that should come thereafter. And so the Bible tells us, so because of this one man, there's many or all that are dead. Much more the grace of God and the gift by grace so much more the grace of God, God's unmerited favor toward man. So, uh, listen, he gave us something that we did not deserve. So God's grace and his gift by grace. What is the gift? The gift is Calvary. The gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. So we see uh, in these next few verses, we see contrast, one from the other, from Adam to the second Adam, from the first Adam to the second Adam, or the old Adam to the new Adam. Or Adam to Christ, however you want to draw uh, the comparison. So the Bible says, uh, listen, we need to pay attention to this now. So if we just back up, it says, for through the offense of one, many be dead. So he has also uh, also concluded in this verse uh, that uh, the the grace, which is won by, by one man, Jesus Christ, it's also abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. Read this again. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. Not as one that, uh, not as it was by one that sinned. So it, he, he, he's drawing the contrast as we begin to look at this right here. He's not. He's saying the gift. Uh, it, it was demonstrated upon and for all. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, right? So when Adam transgressed and Adam fell, he was therefore, and listen, uh, and we talked about this a few weeks ago about Will Satters. When we, uh, through the the limited libertarian view of human freedom. We get to a place which is called uh, concurrence, and we see that man has ultimate responsibility. What does that mean? It means that uh, he is the ultimate origin of his decision. That means that you are a decision maker. That means that you truly have the choice to make a decision uh, meaningful decisions in your life. And you are the origin of that decision. That decision is not therefore determined by a, an eternal meticulous decree. You are not determined to make a choice. You you have a perfect libertarian choice to be made. And I, I understand I'm taking a tangent just a little bit from verse number 16, but it's playing off the word condemnation. Because... Adam was not born, or listen, Adam wasn't born, Adam was created. So Adam was not created in condemnation, nor was he decreed to sin in the garden. It was a free volitional choice. It was an act of libertarian will that he exercised in the garden because his decision originated with him. Uh, the logical consequence of not accepting that uh, that doctrine would make God the author of sin. 
of which he is not culpable. God, uh, listen, that violates every characteristic that violates Calvary. It unthreads and it undoes, uh, listen, a, a, a broad spectrum of the gospel. But listen, man was ultimately responsible, and he is the origin. He is the source. But see, because man is the source of those things there, uh, so thirdly, you have what is called the the, the the principle of alternative possibilities. What does that say? So that says that at crucial or specific times in our lives, we truly, freely have the ability to choose or refrain. Choose or refrain from a specific opportunity or path or circumstance or choice that was set before us. We have that perfect opportunity. At crucial times, we have, we maintain that ability. We can choose to accept or we can choose to reject. We can choose or refrain. And because uh, these are the tenets of what we understand doctrinally from this right here, we have to come to a place where we understand we talked about this, about will setters. They're decisions that a person makes in their life that, that change forever their course of destiny. Friends, listen, there are free volitional choices that we make. I, I, I've used this analogy uh, many times before. Dr. Kenneth Keatley uh, wrote in his book, Salvation and Sovereignty, and he uses this analogy talking about uh, the, uh, the libertarian will that man has uh, and the will-setting moments that a person has. So if a man is standing on a cliff, he has the choice to stand he has the choice to walk back or he has the choice to jump if he chooses to jump there is a will setting moment that takes place because when he jumps and he gets halfway down if he changes his mind there's no choice that he can possibly uh, uh, there's no uh, a choice that he could possibly appeal to that could change the outcome of the decision that has already been made so therefore, man is therefore comfortable. Man is responsible. Those are will-setting moments there. We, as the Christian, saved, born again, justified, and sanctified believers headed toward glorification, we need to understand in our Christian walk of life that there is a necessity for us to make prayerful decisions in our lives because we have will-setting moments that will change the course of our destiny, change the course of our lives. Young people, if you choose to listen to this or if you have endured an hour plus thus far, pray. Seek God in prayer for who will be your husband, who will be your wife. Those are will-setting moments. Those will change the course of destiny. You have to raise children together. You have to raise them in the fear and admonition of the Lord together. That's why the Bible speaks about not being unequally yoked. That's why it's so important. When you fall in love, you fall into agape love, which is unconditional love. It's not philo love, which is just superficial which is just natural friends listen there is an unconditionality which uh, the agape love that we should share with our husband and with our wife that's why it's a union that's not to be broken but the bible says be careful of these things because if we get to verse number 16 over here it says 
listen, for the judgment was by one to condemnation. That's what we're talking about. Adam made a wheel-setting moment in his life. He couldn't go back to where he came from. And I'm going to say this, friends. Listen, when a when a sinner reaches moral culpability and the gospel is presented to them and conviction is full and finished, friends, that's a place in their lives. That's a decision that must and, and is absolutely required. You cannot turn. You cannot regress and go back to where you came from. Decision must be made. So the Bible says, uh, for the judgment uh, was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. Many sins, many sins there are, but the free gift covers the multitude of sin and therefore renounces justification. For if by one man's offense, in verse number 17, for if by one man's offense death reigned by one. So what's he talking about? So when Adam transgressed in the Garden of Eden, uh, listen, his offense, his disobedience to God brought death, and therefore it reigns by him. So therefore there's an inheritance of death because the inheritance of sin. Much more they which receive abundance of grace, hallelujah, though, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. So here we see the contrast. One man has sinned, the inheritance sin nature, the, the moral culpability has fell upon man. We are therefore responsible. We must give an account. Listen, we understand that all these things are laying there before us. We in and of ourselves, as we read to you in the very, uh, in the very early a text of the fifth chapter for when we were yet without strength uh, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. You see, we're bringing home uh, what Paul is addressing right here is, friends, listen, because we're in this state, we didn't have any strength. We couldn't do anything. But he said, praise God, uh, that we much more will receive abundance of grace. Amen. More. We'll see the abundance of grace and the, and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation. That's what we've just been addressing. So therefore, the inheritance of sin comes. We know uh, that the propensity of sin therefore resides and remains uh, in this fleshly body. Amen. But that's why Paul wrote to us, uh, listen, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he said, I know if this earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation. So therefore, listen, condemnation rules, condemnation reigns, condemnation resides. But the Bible says, even so, by the gift of righteousness of the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. So therefore, the Bible says, as sin has fell upon and condemned an entire human race, Therefore, the free gift which was given to us on the cross of Calvary, as we talked about the intentionality of the cross, has made all men savable. Has not saved all men, it's made all men savable. So the Bible says in verse number 19, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners. 
Amen. Many were made sinners. Death reigns in this moral flesh and in this moral body. So the Bible says, for as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Hallelujah. Uh, listen, uh, we know that we are sinners. We know that we are hell-bound. We know that in and of ourselves, we have no strength. We know that we are morally culpable. We know that there is a, a, a death sentence that is imposed upon all humanity. We think that there's no possible way out. We can't find a place. We don't know a place. We, uh, we can't comprehend nor conceive a place of grace and mercy. But thank God, when the gospel comes, Comes, and we understand that we can have obedience and we can be made uh, perfect. We can be made righteous. We can uh, be justified through the work of Calvary. That's what he says. Listen, for as by the one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. So friends, uh, let's say this. Uh, uh, we get into a point right here when we understand, and, and that's why we want to talk about, uh, listen, what is the state of man? The state of man is a sinner. The state of man uh, is that he is responsible. And I want to go back and, and read these verses that we've identified. Uh, in Jeremiah 31, verse number 28, the Bible says, And it shall come to pass that like uh, as I have watched over them uh, to pluck up and to break down, to throw down and destroy and to afflict, so will I watch over them to build and to plant, saith the Lord. In those days they shall no more. Uh, the fathers have eaten a sour grape, and the children's teeth are set on edge. But every one shall die for his own iniquity. Every man that eateth a sour grape, his teeth shall be set on edge. Uh, friends, we need to understand we are not uh, responsible. There is no imputed guilt that comes from Adam. We are culpable for our sin. We're not, we are not culpable for Adam's sin. In Ezekiel 18, the Bible says this, The word of the Lord came again, uh, came unto me again, saying, What mean ye that ye use this proverb concerning the land of Israel, saying, The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge as I live, saith the Lord God. Ye shall not have, uh, ye shall not have occasion any more to use this proverb in Israel. Verse 4, Behold, all souls are mine. As the soul of the Father, so also the soul uh, of the Son is mine. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. As we get down uh, here in, in the 18th chapter, uh, just a little bit more. In verse number 18 of the 18th chapter, the Bible says, as for, uh, as for his father, because he cruelly oppressed, spoiled his brother by violence, and did that which is not good among his people, lo, even he shall die in his iniquity. Yet say ye, why doth the Son bear the iniquity of the Father? When the Son hath done that which is lawful and right, and hath kept all my statutes, and hath done them, he shall surely live. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The soul, the, the Son, shall not bear the iniquity of the Father. Neither shall the Father bear the iniquity of the Son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him. The wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. But if the wicked will turn from all of his sins that he hath committed and keep all my statutes and, to, and do that which is lawful and right, he shall surely lay, live. He shall not die. 
We see uh, the, the the contrast that Jesus uses in Matthew chapter number 18 in, in verse number 3. He said, and he said, Verily I say unto you, except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. So friends, listen, uh, when Jesus looked upon the little children and, and he examined them, He's telling the adults, he's telling the Jews that are standing in his presence, said, if you would just reach the humility of these little children, believe what my father has said, then you would believe upon me and then you could be saved. Friends, listen, uh, we need to understand if you buy in to the doctrine of original guilt or inherited guilt, then you're also buying into the fact that God has to regenerate before you can have faith. You have to believe uh, some sort or some type or some application of doctrine. Uh, listen, in the, uh, in the Calvinistic persuasion, uh, listen, that would justify a means and there has to be something more than the gospel. There has to be, I believe that there's so many people sitting in church pews today that they're looking for something bigger, better, and far beyond what the gospel that they're hearing, but they don't understand. He said, if you would believe what is written, it's the words of life. Friends, listen, we need to understand. He said in St. John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. Without Him, there's nothing made that is made. Verse 14, he said, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld His glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Friends, listen, that word, he said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall never pass away. Listen, the abiding of the word is what uh, uh, is what seals, saves, and sanctifies. There is uh, there uh, the word of God. When it comes, it brings and leverages conviction. In, in the 16th chapter of the book of John, Jesus told him, he says, it's expedient that I go away, for if I go not away, then the comforter cannot come. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin. That word reprove means to convict. So many people today, friends, are looking something far beyond what is right in front of their face. Listen, they, they're, they're trying, they're exploring so far and so hard. And listen, our pulpits are littered with it today. That they, uh, We communicate this message. Uh, listen, to wait and don't move and don't do anything. But Jesus said, you know what, the, you know what Jesus said? And I'm going to take Jesus' words over everybody else's. He said, come. And I believe if we come and if we respond to the gospel, which has the power, which is the power of God unto salvation, let me clarify that. Listen, if we respond to the gospel of God, if we repent, if we believe, if we confess, the Bible says you shall be saved. Period. It doesn't matter what anybody else says about it. That's what the scripture said about it. Amen. Uh, listen, I'm going to take the Word of God. Uh, listen, for the Word of God. I believe the Word of God is sufficient. I believe the Word of God is a work of the Spirit. I believe the cross, listen, uh, when, when we talk about preveniency or grace that must come before we can get saved, let's clarify what we're talking about in, in terms of preveniency. Uh, what is enough? 
Amen. What is enough? We were wicked. We were wretched sinners. We were wrathful in the sight of God. And therefore, the precious crown jewel and diadem of heaven, he left all the splendor, the glory, and the excellence of what he had. He came down, robed himself, was born of a virgin laden Mary. The seed was born from above. So therefore, we have this. We have the second person of the Trinity that has come. Amen. He has come, the second person, Jesus. He has come. He went to the cross of Calvary. Uh, to uh, Listen, the intentionality was to make all men savable, and he extended it to every single person. He said, if you'll apply it. Proveniency. The God of heaven came down, robed himself in flesh. He went to the cross of Calvary. He gave us the gospel. The spirit, and, and listen, I believe the, in, in the inerrant and infallible word of God. I believe what the Bible said uh, when the scripture said that holy men of God were moved upon by the Holy Spirit. These uh, words that we have written in the word of God right here, this is the love letter uh, to a lost and a dying world. So we have Christ coming. We have the cross of Calvary. We have the word. And listen, above that, we have the spirit of God, which is came. And the Bible said that he is reproving. He is convicting. Amen. The Bible said in John 6, 44, everybody in the world, uh, listen, uh, needs to understand this. John 6, 44, the Bible said, uh, no man can come. Can come is the operative words of that verse. No man can come unto the Father, lest the Father which sent him draw him. Amen. Can implies ability. Therefore, the operative words of that sentence is can come. Amen. They have the ability to come. Read the chapter in context. Read before it and read after it. Amen. He is specifically talking. He said, all that have come to the Father, for the Father has given me. Listen, what he's talking about, those that have believed in the Father, he, the Father has now committed them into the Son. They can come to the Son. Why can they come to the Son? Because they believed what the Father said. Go read what that text says. He said, no man can come unto the Father unless the Father which sent him draw him. John 12 and 32, he said, and if, I, if I and if I be lifted up from the earth, we'll draw all men unto me. Amen. Friends, listen to me. We need to understand that the, that the cross of Calvary is drawing through the operative work of the Holy Spirit, which is alive today in the Word of God. Men of God need to lace up their bootstraps. They need to get a, a spine like a saw log, as the old preacher used to say. They need to understand that they stand between a lost, dying hell-bound sinner. Listen, and a graceful and merciful God. They need to preach with power. They need to preach with fervency. They need to preach with importance. They need to preach with intensity. They need to preach with purpose, the cross of Calvary, so that people could hear, believe, and respond. Amen. Friends, listen, there is a purpose for us doing what we're doing. We're not doing it to, to be popular and to go about and see how many revivals that we can compound upon ourselves. We're not trying to do all the, listen, we've made it too much about us. It's not about us. It's all about him. And if we'd surrender ourselves to him, 
The Bible says that in verse, uh, I love this verse in first Peter, uh, chapter number one, verse 23, that we could be born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. We talk about the conveniency of the cross. Oh, friends, today, how we have woefully missed the intention of the scripture when we look for something more, something else. When Jesus declared from the cross, it's finished. Talked about this before. That term, uh, it is finished, a Greek accounting term, telestai, which means paid in full. It's a Greek accounting term. It's done. The plan of salvation is finished. It's complete. But we must believe it. We must believe his love letter. We must believe upon his son, Jesus Christ. So friends, listen, uh, as we, uh, I know we ran a rabbit down that and understand that we went on tangent, but listen, as we understand that we come to this place, we are responsible for our own sin. When we can morally comprehend right and wrong, the Bible tells us we're, we're responsible. In Acts chapter 17, let me read this. Uh, to you, if I can get over there real quick, Acts uh, 17, in verse number 30, as Paul is preaching to him at Athens, he said, and the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Friends, listen, there is a, uh, there is an expediency to us doing what we're doing. We want to see lost people saved. Well, I'm not, I'm not in this. I'm not even teaching or preaching through this. If you've endured this uh, this far, I'm, I'm not. I don't want to bring division in the body of Christ. I want to bring clarity. I want to bring union because we need to work together to see a lost and dying world saved. There's so much division. There's so much separation. We. Uh, we spend countless hours and times arguing amongst our, uh, each other, and I'll be the first one to admit, uh, listen, I engaged in it for many years. I've tried to distance myself from it. I just want to be faithful to what the Word of God says. I want its truth taught. I want the Scripture to be preached in its fullness. I want to, uh, as as God has richly blessed and afforded me and, and put many, many men and women in my lives that have been instrumental mentors that passed on knowledge and wisdom of the Word of God and how the church operates. I want to do my best to empower those coming on behind us that they have a leg to stand on. I want to help. I don't want to tear down. That's what Jesus did. Amen. Uh, listen, he said, Adam came, tore it all down. He said, Praise God, I'm going to build it all back. I bought it all back. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Verse number 19. Verse number 20. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace, grace, grace did much more abound. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. So the law, it, it brought the knowledge of sin. And therefore, when the law entered, People understood uh, the imputation of sin. They ratified the work of Adam in their own lives. You see, friends, listen, when we reach uh, more responsibility, we must 
uh, ratify the work of Adam, and we will ratify the work of Adam because we are inheriting our nation. Uh, listen, we are uh, we are going to sin because that's who we are. But we're not responsible for what Adam did. We are responsible for what we ultimately will do. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That if sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So as sin hath reigned unto death, and we know this. I, I want to read this to you uh, just briefly. Uh, we'll try and wind this up. In the book of Hebrews, in the second chapter, uh, you have some good text right here. The Bible tells us in verse number 9 of chapter number 2 of the book of Hebrews. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. For it became him, uh, for it became him for whom all, are all things and by whom are all things and bringing many sons into glory to make the captain of our salvation perfect through sufferings for both he that sanctified and they who are sanctified of all of one for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children which God hath given me for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood. He also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil. Verse 21, that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Aren't you glad uh, friends, that we have a conquering king that stands in our corner. I'm going to read this right here, and, and I'll be done in closing. In Revelation chapter number 1, uh, John the Revelator, as he's cast in exile to the Isle of Patmos, the Bible says he was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and Jesus began to revelate him. And the Bible says in verse 12, And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one likened to the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, this is John, he said, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore, amen, and have. He currently possesses the keys of hell and death. Amen. So if you just believe upon Jesus, believe, repent, receive. Friends, listen, if we just do those things tonight, what a wonderful, blessed joy. What a grace. Listen, we don't have to die in our sin. We can reign in grace through the righteousness that he'll impute to us and justify us by the eternal life that we have in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God bless you. We love you. 
Uh, we'll probably pick back up with chapter number six here in just a few days. We've got a little bit more time on our hands. Uh, we love you. I hope that you'll listen. I hope that you'll prayerfully listen. I hope that you'll uh, take and uh, take the word of God and consume it and digest it and pray over it that God would add his blessing to it. God bless you as we move forward in these days to come. We love you in Jesus' name.